This is Front Page. We here at Front Page, we do our best to dig out the truth and bring it to you. Hello, all you freedom-loving people. Welcome to Front Page Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Cameron Goulet. When we talk about war in outer space, which country comes to mind first? The United States? Russia? Well, what actually happened may surprise you. President Trump testified in court on Monday, appearing in court as a former president is unprecedented. It's something that only happens in dark times like these. Today is Election Tuesday. There are hundreds of elections across the country. A few of them are worth watching. Hunter Biden threatened Tony Bobulinski, who might testify against Joe and Hunter Biden. So how will the Republicans respond to Hunter's tactics? Democrats elected President Biden as their nominee for president in 2024, but it's clear that many in the Democratic Party are not convinced that Joe Biden is their man, especially as Biden's approval ratings continue to fall. Okay, let's get into it. Few people would have thought that the first space war in history would have broken out not between the United States and Russia, but between Israel and Yemen. On Monday, the Iranian-backed Houthis fired a ballistic missile from Yemen. It flew nearly 1,609 kilometers over the Arabian Peninsula, targeting the Israeli port city of Eilat. It's unclear exactly where in Yemen the missile was launched from, but it is almost certainly the longest-range ballistic missile attack ever carried out via a ground-based launcher. The missile was intercepted by Israel's Arrow 2 Block 4 series. The Israeli Defense Forces and the Ministry of Defense did not disclose any details about the interception. What is certain, however, is that Arrow 2 also achieved the longest-range wartime interception to date. According to Israel's main media outlet, Haaretz, the interception took place outside the Earth's atmosphere. It is believed to be the first time in history that mankind has engaged in war in space. Israel began developing the Air Force's Arrow Missile Defense System more than three decades ago. Compared to other missile defense systems, the Arrow Defense System is unique in that it was the first system designed specifically to intercept ballistic missiles. Monday's incident was the first time that Arrow 2 was used for its original purpose to intercept missiles fired at Israel from distant countries. On Monday, President Trump returned to a New York courtroom to testify in the civil lawsuit against members of the Trump family. President Trump demanded a jury after the unprecedented testimony. New York State Attorney General Letitia James's office sued President Trump his adult children, and their businesses last year seeking $250 million in fines for allegedly falsely inflating the value of some of his properties in order to get more favorable loan and insurance terms. Before President Trump's court appearance, a number of outside bankers, financial experts, and accountants for the Trump Organization had already testified. Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr., who are both executive vice presidents at the Trump Organization, have also testified. President Trump argued in court on Monday that his financial statements were far from exaggerating the value of his real estate. He said that his financial statements to banks dramatically undervalued him because they did not reflect his brand value. President Trump said, I became president because of my brand. I sell books in very large volumes because of my brand. On the witness stand, 
President Trump again lashed out at New York State Attorney General Letitia James and presiding judge Arthur Engron, calling them liars and political hacks. Everybody got their money in full, President Trump said, referring to the banks and insurers that he dealt with. President Trump said the bank was thrilled. You're talking about a loan that was paid off in full. The interest was due on Saturday, and I paid it on Friday. There was no victim. No one knows why you're doing this. Nobody understands it, but I understand it. It's called politics. Therefore, you have no case. But the judge didn't want to hear President Trump's defense. Judge Engeron said, I'm not here to hear what he has to say. He asked President Trump's lawyers to control their client. Engeron said, I beseech you to control him if you can. If you can't, I will. I will excuse him and draw every negative inference that I can. President Trump's lawyer, Chris Kais, said that would be unfair. He said, you have on the stand a candidate for the President of the United States. I don't think you should draw any negative inference. The court needs to hear what he has to say. Trump attorney Alina Hobba said in open court that if the state prosecutor wanted better answers, he should ask better questions. That prompted Engeron to order her to sit down. You have a right to hire a lawyer who can stand up and say something when they see something wrong. But I was told to sit down today. I was yelled at and I've had a judge who is unhinged slamming a table. Let me be very clear, I don't tolerate that in my life. I'm not gonna tolerate it here. And you know what, you shouldn't either. President Trump decried the case as election interference because the leftists want to keep him in the courthouse all day. President Trump said, I think this case is a disgrace. It's a disgrace for people wanting to move into New York. You have people being murdered on the streets and you have an attorney general sitting watching my every move. Legal scholars are saying it's the most unfair witch hunt they've ever seen. November 7th marks the last major elections before the U.S. 2024 election. Many of these results could go far beyond their local impacts and may provide a forward-looking test for the 2024 election. There are 346 competitive races in 12 states across the U.S. today. We've outlined a few of the more noteworthy races today. Mississippi is a deep red state with Republicans controlling both the governor's office as well as the House and Senate. In the 2020 election, President Trump won the state by an overwhelming margin of nearly 17 points, 58% to 41% over Joe Biden. In the 2019 gubernatorial election, Tate Reeves then served as lieutenant governor. He defeated Jim Hood, a Democrat who was then state attorney general with 52% to 47% of the vote. Today, Reeves is running against Democrat Brandon Presley for governor. So why is there anything to watch for in this deep red state race? So far, Republicans have held the governorship for nearly 24 years. But changes in the law over the last two years have given Democrats a chance to flip the state. One change is that Mississippi voters in 2020 repealed the requirement that a gubernatorial candidate must receive both a popular vote majority and a majority of the state's electors in order to win. 
The second change came earlier this year when a court struck down another long-standing state law that banned people convicted of certain felonies from voting for life. These two changes in the law could free up a large number of black votes. According to census data, nearly 38% of Mississippi's population is black and they tend to favor Democrats. Of course, the key to Presley's victory will be whether or not black voters have enough enthusiasm for him. Brandon Presley is a distant cousin of the late American king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. Brandon Presley received financial support from the Democratic Governors Association and he significantly outraised Reeves in the third quarter of this year. Looking at the poll numbers, Presley is catching up to Reeves. In August, Reeves had an 11-point lead, and in early October, Reeves still had a huge 8-point lead over Presley. But last week, polls show Presley and Reeves neck and neck. Of course, the public policy polling is skewed in favor of the Democrats, but it does show that the gap between the two contenders is narrowing. The blue state of Virginia began to turn red two years ago when Republican political amateur Glenn Youngkin was elected governor over Democrat Terry McAuliffe. Republicans then won control of the House of Representatives. Democrats now hope to take back full control of the state's legislature in today's election. Currently, the Republican Party controls the House of Representatives by a ratio of 50 to 46. Meanwhile, Democrats control the Senate 22 to 18. One of the more closely watched of the nine seats is Virginia's 31st Senate District. This district has been a political hotbed for the past two years. Loudoun County is now home to the flagship of the parents' campaign for their children's right to education, particularly in light of the widespread media coverage of sexual assault cases in Loudoun County public schools. In today's election, four seats are up for grab in the Senate and five seats in the House. Democrats have invested heavily in this state legislative race with a special focus on abortion. Republicans are focusing on crime and the economy as key issues. The results of the election will show whether the state will stay red or go back to blue. Kentucky's current governor. Democrat Annie Beshear ran for governor for the first time in 2019. He narrowly defeated then-Governor Matt Bevin, who was the Republican. But Kentucky is a deep red district, and President Trump has won Kentucky easily in both general elections. He breezed past Biden 62% to 36% in 2020. The key issue of contention between Democrats and Republicans here is abortion. Beshear had vetoed a proposal to ban abortions after 15 weeks during his governorship, but the Kentucky legislature subsequently overrode Bashir's veto. The current Republican gubernatorial candidate, Daniel Cameron, supports this abortion ban. Do you remember Ed Durr? In 2021, this little-known truck driver defeated New Jersey Senate President Steve Sweeney. He became the biggest dark horse of the year, generating one of the most shocking election results. Republican Jack Chiattarelli also ousted then-Democrat Governor Phil Murphy by three percentage points. Now Dole faces his first re-election campaign. Will Murphy and Sweeney fight back? 
Will Dole continue to build his legacy? Here's what to watch for in that race. On Friday, the House Oversight Committee condemned Hunter Biden's alleged intimidation tactics against whistleblower Tony Bobulinski. Bobulinski could be a key witness in the House's ongoing impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden. Bumalinski is a former partner of the Bidens. He is the whistleblower who confirmed 10% for the big guy. Bobulinski claimed that he met Joe Biden in the lobby of the Beverly Hilton Hotel in May of 2017 in order to discuss the China energy company CEFC. CEFC is closely linked to the Chinese Communist Party. Bobulinski also said in 2020 that he would turn over significant data to Senate investigators and to the FBI. However, the committee's claim now indicates that Hunter Biden is trying to obstruct the House impeachment inquiry proceedings. Hunter Biden's lawyers demanded that D.C.'s top prosecutor investigate Bobulinski for allegedly lying to the FBI. Hunter Biden's lawyer Abby Lowell wrote U.S. Attorney Matthew Graves that he recently received information demonstrating that numerous statements made by Mr. Bobulinski in Washington, D.C., during an interview with the FBI on October 23rd, 2020, concerning our client, Hunter Biden, are false. However, the committee posted on X saying, Hunter Biden and his legal team are once again attacking anyone who speaks out against the Bidens. This time, they are targeting Tony Bobulinski, a potential witness in our investigation. We will not tolerate witness intimidation. The truth will come out soon despite the Biden team's threatening tactics. We will give Hunter the opportunity to clear the air and speak with us soon. Hunter Biden's lawyer's move comes on the same day that James Comer announced on The Great American Show with Lou Dobbs that the committee had subpoenaed Hunter Biden's bank records. Well, we've subpoenaed his bank records and we've, we've gotten almost all the bank records in and uh, during the process of giving us more it, it's been a long process because lou he has so many bank accounts he would have one shell company with a dozen bank accounts which shows you're a business guy lou i grew up watching you on uh, on cnn and other business shows hey, this isn't a legitimate business this, this is a scam they they had different accounts they laundered money but uh because we've got these bank accounts in, we're very close to bringing in the Bidens. I would say it's a matter of days before they get served. James Comer alleged that Joe Biden received two checks as loan repayments from his brother James, which totaled $240,000 from 2017 to 2018. Meanwhile, according to emails from Hunter Biden's laptop that were uncovered by the non-for-profit Marco Polo, Hunter paid for a mysterious international phone line that was linked to Joe Biden from 2015 to 2018. These emails also include the Biden family's dealings with CEFC, the China energy company. There have been speculations that Gavin Newsom has been campaigning for the 2024 presidential election without announcing it. Recently, John Fetterman lashed out at Newsom over what many call a shadow presidential campaign against Joe Biden. At a Democratic Party dinner in Iowa over the weekend, Fetterman said 
Let me say something that might be uncomfortable. Right now, there are two additional Democrats running for Pennsylvania, excuse me, running for president right now. One is a congressman from Minnesota. The other one is the governor of California. They're both running for president, but only one had the guts to announce it. Fetterman is not the only one who accuses Newsom. GOP congressman Doug LaMolfa also responded to Newsom's high-profile trips recently. This includes Newsom's recent trip to China. LaMolfa said this trip here. He's trying to build a base. He's running the back channels until Biden takes himself out and the party says, man, we're going to get killed on this. However, Newsom has denied that he's running for president multiple times. When asked, Newsom told News Nation in September that he's not worthy of that conversation and that Biden deserves it. It's difficult to predict whether Newsom will still try to pull this off. This is because at least now Newsom has remained a steadfast supporter of Joe Biden. As the filing deadlines for multiple Democratic primaries have passed, Newsom hasn't flinched. In fact, he could be aiming for 2028 after state term limits force him out of the governor's office. Or, if everything goes perfectly, he could be making his 2024 move very soon. Okay, this is our podcast for today. Thank you again for listening to Front Page Podcast. For more exclusive in-depth content, please go to frontpageshow.com.